Father, once again, we thank you for your word. Um, Some Sundays do not go as planned. And uh, thankfully, we're not called to bring you a perfect version of ourselves, but to bring you um, us as we are on the road, in the seat, um, wherever we are to bring ourselves to you and present ourselves a living offering, a living sacrifice. And your grace transforms and renews us in ways that we can never do on our own. And Lord, now as we look to the scriptures again this morning, may it be your grace that your that speaks through your Holy Spirit to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, If you're visiting with us, um, every once in a while, we do a grab bag series where I ask people to just submit questions. Um, And it's always interesting to see which books of the Bible get asked about. And um, Revelation is almost always on the list. So I'm going to tell you right now, um, we are about to do the apocalypse in 2,000 words or less. Now, nobody keep track because I might have exaggerated with that limit. Um, But the idea is to try to get into the book of the Revelation very quickly, touch on the themes and ideas that I think will help you read this very confusing book, um, and read it in such a way that it encourages you in your faith. If you want to get more in depth to the book of the Revelation, we've actually done two teaching series series on this. The first was called The Seven. Um, and it taught, it was uh, Revelations chapter, cha- Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then we took about two years off, and then we came back and did another series called The Un- uh, Undeniably Weird End of the Bible, um, which covered the rest of the book of the Revelation. I encourage you, if you want to get more in-depth, to go and listen to those. You can get them on the podcast, wherever podcasts are available. Um, or you can go on the website, you'll find them. There's, there's uh, images, you can download them and listen to them. There, there's um, a lot in the book of the Revelation. But um, in your bulletin, there is a, a handout that covers a whole array of ideas and concepts about the book of the Revelation that I am not going to have time to go through. Um, And I encourage you to take a look at that. There's a basic outline of the book of the Revelation. Um, It doesn't get into super detail, um, but it does give you a basic breakdown. I talk about a a concept that comes from linguistics, which is um, multivalence. Um, A a a multivalent term is a word that, when it's translated, has many different ways it could be rendered. Um, and so um, this is, a, this is a, a linguistic idea when you're doing translation. You can't always say this word equals this word. And the, in, Revelation, in the Revelation, we have a multivalence, which means that there are many different levels at which um, the book is working. Um, and so uh, we, we talk, I talk a little bit about the four main views of people reading the Bible. Um, but one of the things that's in there on the, the, on the third page of it is, a fra- is, is two things. One of them says the carnival effect. Now, this is not original with me. I stole it from my dad. Um, but I think it's the best way to read the book of the Revelation, which is to imagine the Apostle John as he writes the book of the Revelation as um, at, in, in the same sense that you would see a kid at a carnival 
or a circus where there are many different exciting, loud, flashing things going on. Um, now, um, for some of us, loud, flashing, exciting things are not our groove. Um, I prefer bookstores to carnivals and amusement parks. I don't like flashy, bright, crazy things. Um, they kind of get on my nerves. Um, but for some people, it's exciting. You get in that situation, there's all these things, and you're going around looking, and you're switching, and and things don't necessarily, you don't necessarily see things in the linear way that you might live them out, right? Um, so you might see something over there that you really want to go to. Uh, maybe it's the fried dough stand, for those of you that like those kind of things. What do they call it? They, it's still called fried dough up here, right? Um, and, and, or perhaps it is the tofurkey stand for the vegans. They're like, Ooh, tofurkey. That's a phrase that has never been uttered in the history of mankind. Ooh, tofurkey. All right. That, that never happens. Um, but you know, there's, there's a, or the, the bacon wrapped turkey legs for the, the carnivores that's right next to the vegan stand and doing better business. But you, you see something down the way that you might want to, you want, might want to get there, but there's a process to get there. When you read the book of the Revelation, one of the most important things you can do is remember that the book of the Revelation is not linear. Um, it's very similar, those of you from the business world, the idea of a Venn diagram where things intersect. All right, There's a lot of overlap in the book of the Revelation. So there are things that might correspond to the same idea that look very different. And that's one of the reasons it's so confusing. Um, how many of you have been confused trying to read the book of the Revelation? Right. I notice my hand is up. Um, when I finished the seven, those of you that were here, when I finished the series on the seven, you will remember I got to the end of chapter three and I went, I don't really know how to teach the rest of this book, so I'm going to stop. Um, it's a complicated book. Um, so I encourage you to take a look at that, have some conversations. Um, uh, and, uh, and then we're going to, but we're actually going to take a look at the verse that's at the very end of that handout. It's going to be kind of the basis of where I'm going to go today. It's in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10. And this is Jesus um, talking to, the, to John, the author of the Revelation, right? The very end of this very confusing book, lots of things going on, right? And if you don't know where the book of the Revelation is, it's at the end uh, of your Bible. Just go to the end, leaf through the maps and the indices, and you will find it. Um, but Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10, um, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Um, when we read the Revelation, when we read the book of the Revelation, it is so easy to get lost in the minutiae. It is so easy to read this book and start to sensationalize and go crazy. When I was growing up, there was a guy that wrote a book called 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming in 1988. 
When Jesus didn't show up, he wrote a book called 89 More Reasons That Jesus Is Coming in 1989. People love to go to the book of the Revelation and find this is when the world is going to end. These are the signs of the time. Everyone loves to freak out about the book of the Revelation. Let me tell you something that will maybe change the way you read all of the Bible. The imagery of the book of the Revelation was not shock and awe to the audience that read it the first time. They understood what John was talking about. And, and we could sensationalize everything, but here's where it boils down. The book of the Revelation was written to the church Two generations after Jesus, everybody except for John who had known Jesus is gone. And everybody for two generations has been waiting for Jesus to come back. They have been waiting for the king to show up. They are waiting for the judgment on the world. And they have lived through the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. They have lived through um, the year of four emperors when the entire Roman Empire was, was put into chaos. They have lived through the first Roman and Jewish war where nearly a million Jews were killed in their rebellion against the Romans. They have lived through the reigns of Vespasian, uh, someone so egotistical that when he died, he went, ah, ah, I believe I'm becoming a god. They have lived through the reign of his son, Titus, who was so gentle and kind that his younger brother, Domitian, did not want to reign next to him because he didn't like being around somebody so nice. And so he had him poisoned. And they are living through the reign of Domitian, that poisoning brother, who is erratic, insane, and a psychopath. Legitimately. Out of control. And those people, they are not concerned with Hebrew numerology to predict from the numbers of things when something is going to happen. They are not concerned with drawing big charts and showing people when the rapture is going to come and the second coming and calculate all of these different ideas. They are not consumed with the theologians arguing about things. Um, and getting into the weeds and saying, well, what, what label would you apply? All they are concerned about is, is our hope in Jesus justified? And when Jesus reveals the revelation, the word, the Greek word apocalypsis, it means, uh, usually it gets translated as unveiling or revealing. What it means really is the bursting forth um, when a water source is under the ground and it works its way out to the ground and a spring erupts, that's apocalypsis. That's the coming forth. That's the bursting. When, when a child, after nine months plus a few days, that child finally comes into the world, right? It's an apocalypsis. It's an emerging. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, this is finally what we've been waiting for. It's not something new in the sense that it's made at this moment. It's something new in the sense that it has existed for a long time, but now is finally coming to light. And what Jesus reveals to the disciples, to the, the church 
as they begin the long wait for their king, their lord, the head of the church to return, a wait that is still going on, 2,000 years we've been waiting. What he encourages them is that no matter what it looks like, no matter how powerful Babylon, Rome, whatever, fill in the blank, world power, no matter how powerful that world power looks, no matter how victorious everything in the world looks, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He was here before them, and He'll be here after them. Nothing that goes on in the world is a surprise to Him. And He reminds them, either Jesus first, or you're wrong. Now, Isn't that a loving statement? In the church, it is either Jesus first or we are wrong. You say, well, what about it's either Jesus first or we are wrong? Um, On the back of the bulletin, the thing that Ray mentioned that I actually legitimately did forget that I had written um, until he mentioned that talked a little bit about the church and how it, it accumulates detritus and, and, and it, it, we pick up things. And over 2,000 years, we've acquired a lot of things. And when we look at around, across the spectrum of the church and we see the differences and distinctions that exist in the church with a capital C, you know, across the world, do you know what most of those distinctions are about? It's about when people decided that something was more important than Jesus. The way you dress, the way you look, whether you speak in Latin or Greek, whether you use this pronoun or that pronoun, I don't know, and I'm not talking about the modern pronoun issue, that's a completely different thing. I'm talking about in Greek, there are two uh, pronouns that can be used for the Holy Spirit and two prepositions and all this argument. And people go through and they argue, well, what do you look like? What do you sound like? What do your churches look like? And today we have the same kind of situation where people are, would, there are some folks that would rather argue over the version of the English translation of the Bible that you read than celebrate the one it reveals. There are people more concerned about the style of music a church plays than the doctrine that is in that music. They say, we want to be hip and cool and exciting, so we're going to use music by heretics because it's exciting. There are some Christian music publishing houses that we do not sing music from and avoid singing music from. Every once in a while, one of them creeps in and we identify it and we get rid of it. Not because it's not a great song. They often write great songs, but they got wacko doctrine. And it's like, but it's a great song. I don't care. It's Jesus first or we are wrong. And the church, when you read the seven letters at the beginning of the Revelation, and I know some of you have not read the Revelation, and that's okay, but when you read this book, what you find over and over and over is the reminder, you forgot who this is about. And if you want to have hope in the world, in this life, in this journey, as the church, 
It's got to be Jesus first or we're wrong. How to read the Revelation. First, Jesus first or we're wrong. If you read the Revelation waiting for the bad guys to get their due, you are reading the Revelation wrong. Uh, the first time, that, I, and I mention this all the time, but the first time I realized the possibility that when Jesus judges the quick and the dead, he does so with a, heart, with a broken heart over those who will not follow him. It changed my thinking of the world. Up until that point, I kind of saw Jesus as kind of arbitrary, uh, objective, just sitting there. It's like, you're either in or you're out. It's up or down. It's binary. You know, and, and cold and calculating. And, and then I realized that the heart of the Son of God breaks over those who will not accept His love. Those who choose the fallen world system over the hope in Him. See, the point of the, the revelation is hope Hope in a world that is aligned against our faith. By the way, side note, if you're a Christian and you get persecuted or mistreated by the world, you better make sure that's because you're standing with Jesus and not because you're standing on your own. There are plenty of Christians who go around saying, oh, the world is picking on me. It's so hard. They don't like what I say. And in the, what they're really being ridiculed about has nothing to do with Jesus. Just make sure... That if you're going to be targeted for being a Christian, be targeted because you're being a Christian. But the point of this is hope in a world system that is fighting Jesus because it refuses to accept the realities. You realize that Satan always knew he couldn't beat Jesus. The idea, the core heresy of the narrative that we often get in popular Christianity is that Satan thought he could beat Jesus. That goes, dates back to a, 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 a Roman uh, philosopher slash theologian named Origen. This idea that there are two powers in the world warring against each other and one's trying to get victory. You read the Bible, Satan never in any way, shape, or form thought he could actually win. He's just staving off the inevitable judgment. But we live in a world system that refuses to accept defeat. You ever had a conversation with your spouse when you realized you were wrong and you could short-circuit this whole conversation by just admitting you were wrong? And didn't. You doubled down. You justified. I know none of you have ever done that. You said, no, no, this is the way. I'm not going to admit my failure. And take that multiplied to the nth degree. And that's the powers of this world refusing to acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus. That, why, by the way, is why in the book of the Revelation he is called the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. It was never in doubt who was going to be the salvation of mankind. So, 
read the Revelation looking for hope. Secondly, read the Revelation with the big idea in mind. Don't get lost in the weeds. Uh, My father used to say, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense lest you speak nonsense. That was the kindest way he told me to be quiet. But when we read the scriptures and we go, well, I, what, what could that possibly represent? Maybe this is this. And I mean, I, I, those of you that didn't grow up in the 70s and early 80s Christianity, you have no appreciation for how terrible Christian cinema used to be. And everything was the end times. And so you had, you had Thief in the Night. And what was the one where there were giant grasshoppers? I can't even... Um, they're, they're just so, I'm sure you can see them on YouTube. There were some really, really cheesy movies right after star Wars. Um, the, the, the antichrist, you know, the main ruler, suddenly there were all these, uh, Christian movies where, um, basically the powers of evil had stormtroopers, but the stormtroopers were real low budget. So they were all just wearing motorcycle helmets and black jackets, you know, like, like it just was, it just was bad. And everybody's trying to come up with a symbol. You read through the book and you're like, well, maybe this is tanks. Maybe this is this. Maybe that's that. Maybe this. Maybe it's just plain sense. Maybe just if we read it and we, we don't worry about parsing out every single little detail and nuance that we could possibly find. You know that the Christian life is not about having all the details right. It's about having our focus right. I got a new phone because one morning I woke up and my phone was dead. Um, And I kind of have to have a phone because how else would I play Tetris? Um, Anyway, I bought a new phone and and it's got a camera on it. And the camera has this thing called cinematic mode. I'm like, dun, dun, dun. I have expected it to open with like a trailer. Now on your iPhone, cinematic mode. Anyway, um... This thing intelligently focuses while you're trying to record stuff. It is so annoying. I've been trying to record somebody doing something and suddenly it's focused on something in the back. And the person in front is blurry. I'm like, how do I turn this thing off? So often we read the Bible, we get so focused on that little detail in the background, we forget the Messiah in the foreground. You want to read the Revelation... Just don't be looking for deep symbolic meaning. Don't be looking for deep allegorical concepts. Don't be looking for hidden secrets. There's no code. There's no answer sheet. It's about hope. It's about hope. Um, My wife, you can get her to tell you the story when her throat is better. Um, My wife discovered that that she really liked me. This one moment in Bible college, when I was holding court in the library, because everybody else in their in this one particular class was struggling with concepts, and so I was explaining to them how Jesus is revealed through the ages of the world. And I basically, my big point was, 
We keep building up barriers and God keeps breaking them down. The powers of the world are no different now than they were 2,000 years ago. Oh, they might have some new tricks. They might be trying some different tactics, but they're the same. You know that the powers of this world are very uncreative. They're still trying to seduce us with the same things, and somehow it keeps working. Read the Revelation. Reading the Revelation requires you to simply sit back and see rather than dig. See the glory of God. See the inevitable hope we have in Christ. Let the details stay a little out of focus. Now, sometimes it really annoys people when I say this. They ask me about my eschatology. That means my theology on the end times. My answer is, Jesus is coming back. The details are fuzzy. I don't know that I can answer every question about the book of the Revelation. I know that for some reason, God has allowed the finer knowledge of that original audience to pass away. For it to sit in mystery. And since I believe that Jesus would never leave us with a book that we couldn't comprehend, I have to be content to step back and say, okay, the details are going to be blurry, but I have hope in Jesus. Now how about an application for that in the church? How okay are we with the details being blurry but everything we do being about Jesus. I'm a detailed person. I'm the one who makes sure the chairs are in straight lines. I'm the one who has a measuring tape and a template for his own office when he vacuums things. I move my chairs and I put them back. I can always tell when somebody has moved stuff in my office. I'm the kind of person that will actually lose it if somebody moves one of my books. Do not move any of my books. I know the temptation in some of the teenagers, I'm looking at you, Alana, to go down to my office and start moving my books around. Don't do it. I'm a detailed person. They're all in Library of Congress order for a reason. But when it comes to the church and it comes to faith, sometimes we just got to lean back and trust that God is taking care of the details and trust him and see Jesus. We just need to see him. You say, but I want to understand all the details. Guys, I'm 47 years old. I have devoted my entire adult life to ministry in the Bible. At 18 years old, I went to Bible college. I have worked in the church my entire adult life. I read more languages than I can remember so that I can understand the Bible. I have two master's degrees and a PhD, and I still don't understand this book. 
can you be content to let the details be blurry? For now. For now. Because one of the great victories or pseudo-victories that Satan can have is to get us so focused on the background that we forget about the one we're here for. I'm going to close with a song. I'm going to have Nicole come up and, um, and play for me. Let's join in a word of prayer.